Hi, this is Dr. Janelle Luke. I'm very excited today、um, that I'm very honored to invite my、um, high esteem. A friend, professor from my old days at Yale, Yale Medical School, and it is Dr. Pernard Kodeman. So thank you so much for coming. It's a pleasure to be here.、Nice、um, you. thank you. I、uh, we've been trying to meet with up with each other for five years because she's very busy and has many、um, students under her care as well as kids, <laughs> and so、uh, it is. Um, very hard to, and I have also two children, so it's very hard to get ourselves, you know, have a time to、uh, meet up with each other in New York City. So I'm very excited that we can use this opportunity to meet up. And Dr. Coleman is my first、uh, physician slash female provider、um, kind of guest to our Heart to Heart show, and I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Coleman because、um, I am going to. Actually, ask you many questions that I asked when I met you. So let me actually rehash how we met. I、okay. think we had we、uh, back in two thousand.、Uh, oh my God, I'm so old. Two thousand one, I was at、uh, Yale Medical School, and I am a very nerdy little girl that I was in the lab all the time in the laboratory, and I would bump into Dr. Coleman. When were you that? You were a fellow then. When、in、I was two thousand one, I was still. A resident. A resident. Oh my god! <laughs> and Dr. Coleman,、uh, we're going to maybe introduce her in our podcast with her high accolades with Yale. I think you went through Yale from elementary school. I'm kidding. <laughs> If they have elementary, you went through it. But college,、yes. right?、Mm-hmm. Medical school, Yale. Yes. You went to Yale Medical School. I did.、And、I didn't know that. MD PhD. Oh right, you're MD right. PhD. <laughs> OMG. Yeah. So seven years. <laughs> Oh my God! Yes. Okay, and then you、mm-hmm. went the residency.、Mm-hmm. They must be so happy to have you. And then fellowship. So, yes. Oh my! So、mm-hmm. you never left. I've been there since 1990, <laughs> which tells you how old I am. <laughs> um. Okay. You're right. I forgot. You. You also have MD PhD. So um. Let's to um. Let's 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 talk about this with the audience because so many of our audiences are not really in the medical field. Mm-hmm. Um, going to medical school is not like oh let's go to medical school. First of all, you have to go through four years of college,、mm-hmm. uh, very high GPA to get into medical school, and you have to go through a test called stupid okay I shouldn't say stupid but MCAT, <laughs> and which is a very tough test.、Um, and then、um, at the four years of medical school now. Dr. Coleman just said that she went to MD PhD. So let's introduce this MD PhD track. It's basically four years per three or four years, right, Mama? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I call her Mama. Okay, sorry. <laughs> also, it's because um she always takes care of me during fellowship. So we have a very nice kinship together, and I always call her Mama. Anyway, so Dr. Coleman is four years medical school, three more years adding on to medical school, so seven years, right?、Mm-hmm. MD PhD plus then four years of residency. Yes, and then plus then three more years of fellowship to become the to see your first patient as an attending. Eighteen <laughs> years total, Janelle. <laughs> Thank you, but not very good math somehow. Wow, I was trying to put my fingers together and my toes.、Um, oh my god, that is amazing.、Um, so 
I met Dr. Coleman during my, <laughs> I also went through Yale Medical School and I went through Yale Fellowship. I did leave Yale for four years to Boston for four years of Brigham at um, Boston for training and then came back for fellowship. So I came on bumping into Dr. Coleman um, when I was a medical student and when I was a fellow. So why is that important? Why is this important for this episode? Because this episode is really about how we women have to balance uh, residency, like how do you even think about having a family in residency. And some of my colleagues just hasn't even met their significant other during residency. And so it's very tough for them to find a husband also. So I think Dr. Kuhlman also have friends, girlfriends who are in, you know, in the different boats of their lives and different stages of their lives. Um, and um, and then I also met Dr. Coleman when I was in fellowship. Now, during my fellowship, my husband was in Boston <laughs> doing cardiology fellowship because we're same year. And so I was alone with my child uh, living in West Haven, <laughs> Connecticut. And so fellowship is not like easy peasy. You still have to do research. You do have requirement. And I needed so much guidance from Dr. Coleman. Uh, about how to you know, raise a baby, what to do with this bottle, um, because I delivered lots of babies, I never have taken care of a baby. And it is a lot of work because my whole, uh, I didn't have Dr. Coleman years, but 11 years of my training is all um, really trying to get straight A's and do the best fellow, do the best resident, do the best medical student to keep on getting on to all this um, specialty training. Yes, in so many ways, thinking about it, it's bittersweet. We we say bittersweet. Is that yes. the way to say it? Mm-hmm. Like it's long. It is it's long. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Mama, how did you um, tell us a little bit about yourself? Actually, um, Dr. Coleman, what is your? Tell us a little bit about your. Um, how do we say? Um, because you were like my role model. I want <laughs> to say really heartfelt. Like um, during fellowship, I always say, I'm watching Dr. Pernar Coleman. She's the attending, she's so sweet with her patients. I love her. I want to be just like her seven <laughs> years later or wherever when I become an attending. And I just watching her and I think I was watching her, you were having your third baby at that point? Yes. Probably, yeah. Yes, you you were pregnant. We were yeah. pregnant at the same time. We we're pregnant at the same time. And okay. Yeah. So you had your <laughs> third pregnancy and um and I want to know is uh, how did you you know, how did you do it? How did you balance and what did you do? And So, okay. yeah, so, you, you know, it, it is it is difficult um, getting a good work-life balance. It's always a work in progress still to this day, many years later since uh, we work together. Um, it's, we, we work in a field where we're very dedicated and, and involved in our patients' lives, and that often... Um, occupies most of our waking hours, so it is it is um, it is sometimes difficult to then go home and and deal with the other part of your life and and make sure everyone is thriving at home as yes. they are in in practice. Talk to me a little bit, Pernod. Why um, you know it's so funny. I first of all, I'm a very very uh, I'm yes ma'am yes sir in hospitals kind of um, resident and fellow. So with Dr. Coleman, I was yes. I don't actually say yes, ma'am, to her too much, but I I do that a lot in the in the old operating room because I feel like it's like a military place. Like you have to be very obey. Like if the 
attending tell you to do something, say, yes, sir, I'm going to get it, you know, <laughs> things like that, and or yes, ma'am. So I uh, calling Dr. Coleman mama or even uh, Pernard is a very close kinship and feeling, so I want my audience to know that because indeed Dr. Coleman was my teacher as well as my attending. So, but now we're still both doctors now, I'm going to hold to say, Pernard in this show <laughs> and uh, Pernard just what can you introduce us a little bit about your life actually like whatever you want to tell my audience so how do you how I told you my side how I get to know you mm-hmm. how did you get to know me or how how do we somehow cross path in your journey <laughs> yeah. well um we both ended up in medicine right yes, I, I yes. grew up in Queens and I my dad was actually an OBGYN Yes. which you may have, remember. you may remember. Yes, it was long. Um, so, um, was, was he a professor too? No, he was in private practice in Brooklyn, a solo provider, worked very hard, was very, um, wow. you know, dedicated to his patients. And um, I, I witnessed that as a child. And then, um, you know, unfortunately he passed away suddenly when I was 13. Oh, I'm so sorry. And, yes. um, sorry, and uh, so that really motivated me into following um, in his footsteps. Um, I really respected what he did and and, um, and wanted to do the same. So I, I knew at age 13 I wanted to be an OBGYN and it sort of made it easy in some ways because I was very focused even at that age. And um, as we discussed at the beginning, I ended up at Yale and did my training there. And then you and I crossed paths. I remember interviewing you for fellowship and was very happy that you joined our team. It was a good three years together. I felt like you and I had very similar outlooks in terms of our um, approach to patients, our our dedication to, to patient care. I felt like you always understood that um, very like right from the beginning. So we uh, we worked well together, and um, you know, um, it was a good three years. It was a glorious three years. <laughs> it was very interesting three years. Um, and I also learned a lot from you, um, you know, from surgery and so forth. Um, how do you, if a patient, you know, mama, during those times, uh, we did lots of myomectomy, mm-hmm. we did lots of fibroid, we did lots of, um, how, what do you tell patients when uh, they're really scared of surgery, you know, like something like endometriosis, <laughs> and nowadays they have to, have you heard there's some tests now they can check endometriosis from the endometrial biopsy and mm-hmm. to see if that how do, do you evaluate every patient with menstrual pain with uh, for endometriosis or you what kind of your approach with endometriosis and infertility well you know with endometriosis um we used to do a lot of surgery for endometriosis, um, and certainly when we weren't sure if there was, a, there was endometriosis or not, the paradigm has shifted a little bit so that we're empirically treating and, 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 and diagnosing more on clinical symptoms. Though, as you know, we still do quite a bit of surgery on the appropriate patients. Um, it is always stressful for patients to undergo surgery. I, I reassure them um, by reviewing the procedure in detail, answering all their questions, understanding that it's an anxiety-provoking time. I share with them that when I'm having surgery myself, I'm just as anxious and scared, even though I do surgery every week and have operated on hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands at this point, do lots thousands of, surgeries. of patients. She, she's one of the highest volumes. So, um, <laughs> yes, I, I am the 
Um, I'm one of the is, main right? reproductive surgeons in, in our group. Right. And so um, so I think patients are put at ease and, uh, and um, things go well. Or oh, do you do IVF first or you do laparoscopy first? So we've shifted from doing laparoscopy prior to IVF unless there's a really good reason to do it, such as severe pain or an undiagnosed um, mass on the ovary, or we're not really sure if it's endometriosis or maybe something else. Um, usually we do IVF first in most patients. Have you had very tough cases in your career, like really patients, multiple IVF? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you tell them? Well, yes, I have. <laughs> I've had quite a few um, over the past, I guess, what is it now, almost 15 years. Um, so it is it is tough on patients when the process is prolonged. I think infertility and, and um, women's health-related issues can be very or are very stressful. Um, and certainly when the treatment is prolonged, it becomes even more so and can affect life relationships everything right so right, right, right. i do try to encourage them i've had several tough cases where you know one comes to mind where i had a patient who's who i optimized surgically for fibroids etc and then mm-hmm. she did get pregnant and fortunately miscarried and then ended up with bad ashermans or scarring in the uterus and then it's taken us probably you know three or four additional procedures to fix the uterus again and we're back on track and I think, and she's ready to do another IVF cycle. (laughs) And um, I think she's going to do great. But it is, you do have to provide a lot of support along the way because it can't, you know, sometimes in these tough cases, it can be quite prolonged and stressful. And journey can be long. Very long at times. Do you guys have any therapy or you do offer patients any therapy or acupuncture? Like, do you combine some of that approach to your patients? I do recommend it. I mean, we do have an in-house counselor that most patients um, take advantage of as needed. Um, But I, I do also encourage patients to undergo acupuncture, seek meditation therapy or other forms of um alternative strategies to help with stress and um uh and just help helping to get through the process um so i found the last segment to be a little bit more personal like medical school how you female as a female physician what kind of barriers do you feel like you know can you be chairman and i'm kidding you know i can say whatever you want uh i know you can say that yeah i'm not gonna say uh so um (laughs) we're not very political here but um but like um, I would talk about like how, and I would ask um, Pernard about uh, like really, Mama. Everything that you and I, you tell me when I was younger, when I had a baby during the busiest times of my life, and lots of professional women who are lawyers, who are even teachers, or it doesn't matter any professions. You're trying trying to balance between home life and work life. Uh, do you have any tips for? women out there and also fertility treatment for some patients who have one child now trying to have a second child i'm taking care of lots of my old patients older patients who are who had the first child with me and now they have a second baby and they have to balance work fertility treatment uh their work home life work life fertility treatment basically how would you how do you have any advice because i know you're quite busy life you have also lots of patients and kids and animals at home right (laughs) Animals too, two cats and a dog. Yeah, now. two cats and a dog. Um, 
and some guinea pigs in the past, among other things. But I do think that um, it's very important not to feel that you have to do everything um, yourself. I, I have a, a huge supporting cast of helpers from family members, um, um, relatives, friends. I mean, I have a good friend who's going to for example, cover as a nanny for my for my kids while my mom's away, etc. You know, and I do as much as I can, um, you know, hire help as well. I know that's sometimes cost prohibitive, but um, it's 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 really impossible to um, I think do it all to do it all yourself. So you have to be open minded about getting help where needed. Encourage your spouse to help. <laughs> um, and uh or your partner and uh and it, it tends to all work itself out um you know mama you and i are very similar physicians i you know doctors too so i would tell you a secret one time <laughs> i was reading papa pig to medicine uh, which is my child and i forgot i had to make a phone call like i just need i just thought of it i just a patient i want to do it so i stop everything and I say, I need to make this phone call. And it was at 9.30 p.m. Mm. No, we, yeah. Um, and I, and, and it's hard. Patients want me to, and sometimes even um, I do my best. You know, patients love it. They say, Dr. Luke, you're working on a Sunday. You're calling me. I'm like, yes, I'm here to make sure your embryos are good and to want to tell you the next step so we don't have any, um, you know, follow-up, uh, you know, misstep or anything. So I usually sometimes do that. Do you do that? And do you feel guilty? Oh my gosh, I, I feel incredibly guilty and I do that all the time. <laughs> I've I've missed all sorts of things, abruptly cut, reading books, talking to my kids, getting distracted by work-related um, emails, texts, phone calls, etc. Um, I think it's, it's natural. I think, um, you know, your family will understand um, that you, I think, once they realize your dedication to to your work and your patience, um, it probably hurts at the time um, to have your parents distracted. But in the end, you know, from my experience, just as I witnessed my dad sometimes being distracted from from um, his family um, to take care of his obstetric uh, patients with their um, emergencies or urgencies, um, right, right, you know, right. family eventually will. Will understand but it is important to try to balance maintain yes. a balance as much as you yes can. I, I do my best too but it is not easy to be us sometimes <laughs> no it's it, not easy I oh think. not just us not, many working to be moms, a working because yeah. working mom not just us as doctors i bet the people who have you know family and work teachers with their students or you know whatever uh, profession out there where they have to balance work and um, it is not easy. Um, what do you do with stress? Like, do you, <laughs> how do you decompress? Do you go, uh, I just want to know, you know, as I, uh, you know, had to maintain the next couple of years. You look, still look so young, mama. Thank you. <laughs> as I approach 50, but I think really for me, I did take a break from exercise for a while, but... Um, Why? Why did you take a break from just, exercise? Just, there was no time oh, for, okay. for me, but now that um, I, I'm able to carve out, I mean, it's at 5 a.m., but I'm able to carve out a little bit more time to exercise, which I think helps me relieve some of my stress and focus on my health and well-being, um, you know, those endorphins help too, and then it helps me get through the day um, better. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> great. Do you take walks? Do you do anything with your family or? Um. <laughs> Not really. No. <laughs> okay. I no. I mean, we. No, we I. I do other things. Okay. Great. 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 Um, I take my kids to activities. Oh, but, great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dancing. But, dancing. Yeah. Dancing. Piano. Um, okay. So we're going to have two more last questions, and we're good. Pretty mm-hmm. good. Um, so, uh, and Mama, do you have anything to say? So, uh, my audience are very huge range. It's just like they are professional. They're really like this. They like there's lots of different people. Yeah. I don't know what this podcast is going to. Attract, but I want to see if you um want to say anything yourself. Like, do you, is there any po- you don't have anything you want to feel strongly about it, or you, you can do anything. That's what oh. I'm trying to say. Oh, can, mm. uh, no, okay. no, I'm okay. Um, so what <laughs> are they? <laughs> that was awful. In case you want to say something, I sell cookies, and I want to tell you on Saturday I'm gonna sell cookies. Okay. Um. So what are some walls or barriers you face as a female physician? Interesting. Could you, Susie, come up with that? Okay, <laughs> with some walls good and barriers. Yeah, any. I mean, I think one of the barriers. Did you um, feel different when you're a female resident? I felt different. Yeah, I think. Re- I felt I was. Okay. Maybe Although now. Not to name where. Oh, actually, everyone knows where I train. It's on over the internet, but I felt it was a different. It was. I mean, there are more female residents now, especially in OBGYN, which is good. But I think one of the barriers as as a female physician, and probably in many areas, not just medicine, is, is lack of mentors, mentors that are... Female mentors. Female mentors that you can, you know, sort of learn from and... and the next generation will be better. Next generation because will be more, better. Because now more people are being senior. So hopefully more chairmen. It's like a statesman, right? Majority of presidents are still men. Right. Majority of chairmen are still men. But I think as we move forward, we're right. there's more and more uh, female chairman leadership women. positions. And I think um, identifying mentors and... Um, and difficulties and, and difficulties yeah. Is, is yeah i think that that's one of the barriers and then just stereotypes right i mean how many times um i can't even count how many times like i've walked into a new like a patient that i don't know into a room with like a 20 year old medical student <laughs> and the assumption is that that's the doctor <laughs> and um and you know i'm the assistant or something yeah oh, right really? it's it's happened oh, so wow. i mean i that's think a, yes. as, as i get older and look my age more <laughs> that's not happening as much but you know there's just still so many stereotypes that the 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 physician is not the female in the room right so that's not that that's been a barrier but it's it's interesting that in this day and age where it's, we live still there's still, you know, still, happening. still Especially, stereotypes yeah i think yeah. from institutions and it is still happening i mean come on yes. it's not um this hasn't really changed much just fyi right now <laughs> the, the, the landscape um what are the advice you want to give to like young female pre-med students or um, medical students, like in terms of, do you have any advice? I know you teach, you do, do you teach, do lots of teaching? Yes, medical still school? do lots of teaching, med students, med residents, students. fellows, nurse practitioners. Do you have one day teaching now on your schedule? What, what's your schedule? I mean, like most tomorrow? weeks I'm, I mean, I'm constantly teaching the fellows and residents on almost a daily basis, but in terms of formal lectures, um, those are more sporadic. Got you. Um, so you teach medical student. Like, what do you? What kind of advice um, would you give a female medical? Like, because isn't should we worry about our biological? I was worrying. Like, I I met Dave. Um, I'm, excuse me. I met my partner uh, back in uh, college at uh, my university at Cornell, and so I 
I was kind of lucky, I guess, because you met someone early. But like, what? I I don't know when you met your significant other, Mama.、Mm-hmm. But like, how? What do you give that? Should we should all the medical students freeze their eggs? No, I'm kidding. But like, well, I mean, it's an option. <laughs> what I tell.、Um, Students and residents, you know, when they when they approach me about this topic, is that there really is never a good time, right? There's gonna never be a good time to be a mom to, to have a baby,、yes. and、um, so while now freezing eggs is a, at least a viable option, it certainly wasn't back in the day.、It、was、no. experimental even when I was a fellow. No, so, I was yeah, resident. You yeah. know, so you have to remember that、um, you know there is. Unfortunately, a limited、um, time for for women. Still, I don't, that might change in the future with some new strategies that are being developed in the research world. But、um, we do have to keep in mind that、um, time <laughs> is of the essence, says, and、yes. there and there's never a good time. So,、um, well, we guess、um, think ma- about it. Don't told, forget. Yeah, Mama just told her training is eighteen years. My training was eleven years. So. Um, during <laughs> that is in your twenties and thirties, which is、mm-hmm. when you're supposed to have a baby.、Um, so it's never a good time. I remember in residency, what we don't have work hours, eighty work. I mean, we slowly have eighty work, but I was still working a thirty-hour、yeah. shift. That means you're on from now. So from this morning at seven, if it's a Friday morning, would be seven a.m. to the next morning, seven a.m. Saturday morning, and, and then, then you keep、on. going. Yeah, keep going <laughs> until noon time. Right. So that is a thirty-hour. I don't. I thought they abolished that. I heard. Oh, they yeah, did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Someone. Well, now it's well, an eighty-hour work week. Oh, yeah. But like you, but they, when I when I did my residency, there were no work hour limits. So. Oh, right.、Mm-hmm. You had the seven years. See, it's changing yes, every seven yes. years. Yes, it, it is a little better now. Eighty hours is still a long time, and there are certainly still some long shifts. But you know, you have to balance. The, the time it takes to learn medicine and、yeah. surgery and patient care, and then with, if you have a baby、safety. during residency, because my friend has a baby during residency, she's like went to breastfeed, like she literally was not sleeping to、mm-hmm. breastfeed, and it was really difficult. Like she has to breast pump, and so residency was not a great time for、uh, her having a child. But it was, it, but everyone balanced, I guess. But it's not easy during the training years. We just want to, you know, I guess see what is a good time to have a baby, but. The training, maybe that would be also advice. I think fellowship is good. Medical school actually is the best time. What do you you don't think so at the time, time? because <laughs> it feels so stressful. But it, I, I think one of the things we can impart on some of the trainees is that it only gets more stressful.、Um, certainly, I think、um, in many ways being an attending is even more stressful, a more stressful、yes. time than when you're a trainee、yes. because you're ultimately yes, medical school actually is responsible for everything. <laughs> Well, all the medical students who still have to figure out how to pay the tuition and now have a baby. Anyway,、um, so this is very ironic, but I think having I think no matter what we made it, you made it. We're going. It, let's not give <laughs> such gray and and pessimistic hopes. It's sure you can do it as long as you determine to become a doctor. You love what you do and passionate what you do. Yes, you can. You can do it. You just you, you can't have it all. You don't need to ha- do it all, but you can have it all. Um. Uh. My final question is: What do you think needs change with healthcare for women in the social sense? Like anything you think access or yeah, definitely access. I think um. You know there there are still quite a few limitations to access for both fertility care, fertility preservation, and even you know when treating women with endometriosis and fibroids, there's sometimes limitations to uh. Uh, coverage for medications that we, as their doctors, feel would work really well, but 
Um, there are exclusions and things like that, which um, really need to be addressed. Got you. Um, I'm going to end with two questions to Dr. Coleman. <laughs> okay. One is um, during your whole medical career um, for so long now, what is the most amazing thing that have um, really touches your heart that you think it was the best ever? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so probably, um, I mean, there have been several of these. It's hard to really separate, but a, a patient who um, had a really rough time in terms of ha having bad endometriosis that um, actually did require extensive surgery for you know stage four disease that um, subsequently um, you know had a little bit of a prolonged recovery, but then did IVF, got pregnant, and um, had a beautiful baby and you know you know when they bring the babies in there's yes. like nothing better than no, that melts your that's heart it. that's it that's yeah. better than love food <laughs> that's, that's it's like, better than anything that's how i don't need to eat lunch every day so so yeah. <laughs> so that that continuity of care that that's coming full circle to me i mean every time just really hits home and actually this patient that i'm thinking of is coming in I think tomorrow for a second baby. So oh, wow. see, yes, so it's it's true. nice that 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 continuity Absolutely. over time is um, I think very rewarding as a provider. And my final question is, you know, we have lots of patients in the audience may have done one, two, mm. three IVF cycle with, you know, as you know, PGTA testing, which is biopsy of the embryo, is very common now, and it's all abnormals. Um, mm -hmm. They have been doing this for a year to two years. Mm -hmm. Um, financially depleted and mm -hmm. what kind of advice will you give to these patients and um, and usually how do you you know even though they're looking for different options maybe they're looking for more IVF cycles or they were looking for donor whatever it is how do you lift their spirit up like what are the things that you usually tell your patients mm -hmm. and I would love for you to share with me today well you know I'm, I'm usually very positive but also share with patients what the real chances are, which, as, as you know, can sometimes be quite on the low side in the setting of really advanced reproductive age. I think, you know, I support them. I feel as if it, you know, that if they're informed about their chances and, and they still want to try, and, and particularly if they have the coverage, um, I don't hold them back. I just want them to under have realistic expectations. And then you know, I, I do share with them that, that there are different approaches to family building. It's it's not always what you imagined it would be for yourself. So I think at some point, if you've given it your best and it's not working the way you imagined it would be, for example, IVF, you know, you could certainly start to open your mind to some other ways to build a family, whether it's donor egg, donor embryos, adoption, whatever, I think... In the end, building a family is, is should be the main goal. Right. I would like to express my tremendous gratitude to Dr. Kodeman and Pernard, my mama, for coming here today and to give us such uh, to share such insight into her life as well as to her profession and to her patient care. Thank you so much. <laughs>